Colossians 3, I'm going to begin in verse 1. We'll read down a bit. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul here, speaking to this group of believers, is seeking to encourage them in a heavenly mindset. And as he does that, he begins by saying again in verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, the language has the idea not if, maybe, it's since you having been raised. It is something that has happened, that's done for us in the past, once and for all accomplished. Since then, having been raised with Christ, anybody who's a true believer, this is true of us, we are to seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Uh, sometimes it's confusing, but the idea is that Christ has raised us both personally and corporately. There is, or there was, a man named Jesus Christ who lived on the earth. That's a fact. He is one of the most historically documented people in all of human history. It's really not debated. Atheists have written books about Jesus' existence. He lived in the area of what we call Israel or Palestine. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. All of these things are facts historically. The one thing that people want to debate is, did this man named Jesus Christ who was crucified, rise again three days later and ascend into heaven with the crown of glory on his head. That's what's debated. It's not debated for us. It is a fact for us. And Paul says, if Christ was our life, all of my hopes for life, my hope when I come to death, my hope for eternity a million years from now, are all linked to a man who is literally sitting in heaven, crowned in glory, at the right hand of the Father. They will all come true, not because of my power, but because of his power and authority. And the only way it could fail is if somebody can climb up into heaven and steal the crown off his head. It's not going to happen. What Christ has done, as our, the Bible calls him, our first fruits, the idea was the Israelite would come with the first of their harvest and wave it before the Lord as a picture of all the harvest that was yet to come. The Bible says Jesus Christ, risen, resurrected, receiving an immortal body and glorified, is the first fruits of everybody who's going to follow him. We're going to be like that. And because he has secured it, my future in him is also secure. So I'm seated there with him. My life is secured in him. And Paul says, since that tr that's true, he's setting the stage. That is a fact, a reality for us. He then begins to bring in the exhortation. Seek those things which are above. The idea is to continually seek. Everybody needs something to pursue. And the Christian should pursue things that are the same source and nature of their life a heavenly and divine source. We should seek things that we are going to be involved in for all eternity. We should seek the things that are related to him who is sitting on the right hand of the Father who has secured our life. And maybe that's difficult to think about practically. What does that look like for me? 
you know, I have a normal life to live. That's perfectly fine. What are Christ's purposes in your life? Because he has them. What are Christ's purposes in your marriage? What are Christ's purposes with your children? What are Christ's purposes at your job? What are Christ's purposes at this fellowship right here? What are Christ's purposes in your own spiritual life individually? Because he has a purpose. He has a plan in all these arenas. He has something that he would wish to see and happen, and they're unique to you and where he has you. What are Christ's purposes? As I said, even in a Christian fellowship, they're unique. He wrote letters. I believe you're studying in the book of Revelation to the churches. He didn't write the same letter to every church. He didn't need to put out one blog post that related to every church in the world. He had unique purposes in each of those places in individual lives. Those things are related to eternity. They're all a part of what he's doing to bring all of the purposes of the world to one ultimate end. Christ has purposes in our lives, and they're heavenly. Now, they relate to earthly things. Jesus, of course, was the ultimate picture of this. He was radical enough to raise a girl from the dead, and then also radical enough to say, get that girl a sandwich. <laughs> Pretty remarkable, right? He, he was never so heavenly-minded that he wasn't of any earthly good. In fact, what we'll see here is we can't actually be any earthly good unless we're correctly heavenly-minded. And that is why Paul is trying to have this church set their minds, seek those things which are above and I will simply just say, unfortunately, when we think of heavenly things, when I say heavenly things, I just mean the things that relate to eternity. Our resurrection body, our day at the Bema seat, eternal rewards, a new heavens and a new earth. All the things that we could talk about that are eternal, that are heavenly, the Bible talks about. Those things which are above and are settled and secure there. Unfortunately, a lot of people talk about those things like they don't really matter or we can't actually seek them. Ah, heaven's real, but I'll like it when I get there type of a thing. Or, you know, we don't really know what this heavenly stuff is and the Bible uses symbolic language. We're not sure what it's actually talking about. Or I know it's good, but, you know, I'll like it then. There's, there's a lot of kind of talk about heaven that I simply want to point out is not anything like the Bible says. If you just simply read the Bible, it never says anything like heaven's not worth thinking about until you get there. Or you can't really understand it. Or it doesn't have a practical application for you right now. In fact, it says the exact opposite of those types of things and thoughts. A.W. Tozier would say, speaking of this kind of general idea, this may not, this heavenly mindset, be written about much in the annals of modern evangelical church, but it is written in the New Testament. And that's what's most important. And it's written right here for us. We are supposed to be seeking those things which are above continually. To greater clarify that, Paul would say in verse 2, set your mind on things above. The mind there, your Bible might say, your affections, uh, the idea is, both of those are tied together. My mind, mentally and emotionally, should be directed in a certain way. 
I'm directed towards those things. I'm disposed in this direction with my mind and my emotion. Set your mind on things above, notice, not on things of the earth. He has to clarify here because I think what we see is there's a big danger for us because it's easy to think we're doing that when we're actually not. Paul is calling for intention, for activity, for focus, for purpose. Again, just very practically, how are you seeking to integrate eternity with your normal life? What are you doing right now in your life to be heavenly minded amongst your daily, day by day, week? Where are we seeking to make this happen? Or are we just bringing kind of our tired leftovers to this? We have to allow not our lives to be divided into something sacred and secular, as I said, but like Jesus, to realize every day you give me, every moment you give me, you have your purposes in it, and those purposes are good and eternal. That the smallest thing I do, even if I hand a cup of water in the name of a disciple, will receive a reward. It's of eternal worth. And what I begin to do when I look at my life that way is connect again to where my life really is secured. If I'm not having a heavenly mindset, what is left? Really, the earth. That's it. If I'm not looking at things through an eternal perspective, what perspective am I looking at them through? An earthly perspective. That's all that's left. There's not something else. There's no middle ground. If I'm not seeking to see the world and my life and my job and my family and my kids and my service and my personal walk with him the way he sees it, then how am I seeing it? All that's left is the world. So that's why Paul has to say, not on things of the earth. Paul, Paul was never saying, don't think about earth. Paul was a tent maker. Paul traveled all different types of places. He had to think about whether to take a ship there or walk there. But the point was, all of those earthly things he was doing had an eternal context to them. And they shaped the way he made his decisions about life. And the danger here, I believe, for us is <clears throat> that we can think, if I am not doing something overtly sinful, then I must be living heavenly. If I'm, I'm just trying to be happy, but I'm not doing something wrong, then it must be okay. <clears throat> I'll share this with you because it ruined my life, so I want to ruin yours too. Uh, somebody said, and I never forgot it, that was obviously tongue-in-cheek, it was helpful for me so, because it gave me light. Somebody said, are we seeking to please ourselves without displeasing God? Is that how I'm living my life? Am I seeking to please myself without displeasing God? Is it okay for me to do whatever I want as long as it's not sinful? And the answer is no, because you're still first. No, because my life can't be all about me and be heavenly minded. To follow Jesus, sometimes I'm going to have to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him. There's a commercial on TV about an insurance agent sitting there with somebody in the car trying to buy insurance. Maybe you've seen this. 
And the insurance agent <clears throat> is basically admitting that they gauge people's backgrounds and financial strata and then charge people more based on how much they make. And the guy looking to buy insurance says, isn't that illegal? And the insurance agent says, turns out it's only immoral. So, yeah, because it's legal, it's okay, we can still pull it off. And unfortunately, we can sometimes basically live our Christian life like that. Isn't this legal? Is this a sin? Is this wrong? As long as it's not on the bad checklist, I'm cool. Well, turns out, living for me first is immoral. Can't do that and be a follower of Jesus Christ. I have to live heavenly-minded. I, I can't set my mind on things of heaven and set my mind on things of the earth. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not a person who loves him or wants to follow him. It just means I got to realize where I'm making a mistake and change it. It was said of Peter, who obviously loved Jesus and followed him. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. That was when Jesus said he was going to the cross, and Peter said, not you, Lord. And Jesus said, no, Peter, he didn't call Peter Satan. He was acknowledging there was a satanic influence. The thought that would be about you living your life just to protect yourself and comfort yourself is not from God. That wasn't what Jesus was there to do. He said, I wasn't there to serve, be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. There was an eternal purpose in what he did. And thank God for it. Romans tells us, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. A lot of times believers struggle because they do not have the correct type of life and peace that are tied to being spiritually minded, heavenly minded, eternally minded. We're caught up in all these things and we begin to doubt and we have fears and we have struggles. And God's answer is to take eternity and put it on the other side of that. He said, you're ignoring this thing. And it's supposed to be a weight on the other side of the scale that helps balance the rest of what I've called you to do. And when we don't do what he's asked us to do, then there's an issue. Now, it'll look like something. To believe in eternity, to live with an eternal mindset will make us a little different here on the earth. If, if we can just talk about everything everybody in the world talks about, we watch the same shows and listen to the same music and jump on the same types of social media and do everything that some unsafe person does, there's a problem. There should be some type of conflict there. We are citizens of heaven. If I took a city boy and put him out on a farm and a farm boy and put him in the city, there'd be a little weirdness. They would still be human beings. They're still living life. But culture's a little different. You and I are citizens of heaven. Culture's a little different than this world. We can live here. We can get by. But there's some friction along the way. And to have that is essential for us because Christianity unapologetically has its eyes set toward heaven. Unapologetically. And 
Eternity has always been God's ultimate focus and answer. And without it, the injustice, the suffering, the difficulty, the hardship we face, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Asaph says in the Psalms, he almost slipped because he began to forget about these things. But then he went back into the house of the Lord and he remembered the end of it all. And if we're just people who live in the world, right, people without Christ, what do we have? We have this life, which means I got to get everything I can out of it. I understand why you go to drugs and drinking and your own sexual pleasure and just your own entertainment. Try to comfort yourself. Try to get as much as you can because if this is it, then this is it. You look at injustice, you look at hardship, and what's the answer? But grant that eternity exists and you put it on the other side of the scale, then everything changes. Everything changes. We can look at the world and even wonder, Man, God, how are you allowing these things to happen? There's horrible things happening here and terrible things happening there. Grant that God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus says the Lord. And the minute he says that, nobody's getting away with anything. And as difficult and as hard as some things are in the world, I don't think any of us would want to imagine that individual in hell for all eternity. See, it changes things. You look at Paul unjustly being beaten 39 times, lashed 39 times. It could only go up to 40. And in that Jewish custom, it was only the worst criminals who got 39 lashes, minus one from the 40. It took them right there. That means they looked at Paul the Apostle as the worst type of criminal for sharing the gospel. Unjust. But if we looked at Paul in heaven right now, Unjust? I don't think he would say it wasn't worth it. You see, granted exists. Insert it into the picture, and it changes things. That's why we're called in Colossians to set our minds and affections on things above. See, heaven can't only cross our minds when somebody dies or something really bad happens. It's supposed to be on our minds daily, we can't live and talk about heaven as if, as if it only matters when we get to heaven because that's not how the Bible talks about it or encourages us to live. The Bible is clear that heaven matters right now and we need to think about it. I'm going to read just a couple scriptures to you and I just want to point out that it is obvious through the Bible and this, this list is not exhaustive. There could be way more that you could put in here that if we don't have this heavenly mindset, we will not know how to deal with normal, everyday life things because that is the weight that God puts on the other side of the issue. Ever dealt with temptation? Anybody here? Okay, great. Yeah, I'm not the only one. Thank you. <laughs> James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, a heavenly thing, which the Lord has promised to them who love him. So what he does is he talks about temptation, then he talks about a heavenly thing and puts it on the other side. And it, it ends up being weird. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. I don't want to endure temptation. I'd rather just escape it. Because when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them who love him. Which means I will not know how to properly filter, think about, and deal with temptation unless I have the proper heavenly mindset. 
that God gives me. I have to have that. Ever faced mockery? Jesus would say, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you're going to live as a Christian who says anything truthful in this day and age, you're going to be mocked, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be slandered. What does God say? Here's the answer. Rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven. And they did that to the prophets who are before you. They're in heaven too. You're part of a crew that also got made fun of. Most of them aren't right here. They're up there. You got to think like that. Because otherwise, which crew do you want to join? And do I want to go to that crew in heaven? They're all mocked and I don't want to carry my fair share. No. I need it. I need to rethink this. I need a heavenly mindset. Ever had your motives questioned or questioned the motives of others? 1 Corinthians 4 or 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Somebody judged you wrongly? You look at somebody and think they're doing this for the wrong reason, but you can't prove it? Don't worry about it. One day, everybody's going to stand before God, and he's going to reveal all the secret motives of their heart. And everyone will have their praise from God then. There's going to be more than resurrected bodies on that day. There's going to be a lot of resurrected reputations. And when they're set in heaven, they're set. They don't change anymore. George Whitfield said, what type of man is George Whitfield? That great day will declare it. It's a bold statement, isn't it? You want to know what type of person I am? One day we'll all stand before God in heaven, then you'll see. It's a huge statement. That great day will declare it. How do we deal with that if we don't have the mindset he gives us? Have you ever faced selfish desire, greediness, Hebrews 10.34 says, You have compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. These early believers, he said, joyfully endured the plundering of their goods because they knew they had a better and enduring possession in heaven. How can I rightly look at the material things God has put in my hand and deal with them if I don't see them through the light of eternity? I can't. I won't know how to deal with any of the money or the financial wealth that the Lord brings into my life or the valuable things of goods that he puts in front of us. Mark 10 Verses 28 through 31, then Peter said to him, see, we have left all to follow you. So Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. How can I learn to give up good things and surrender good things for Christ here unless I'm thinking of eternity? Why would any of the disciples to have, have dropped their nets and followed Jesus? It's not a sin to be a fisherman. 
But why would they give that up? Why, why, that's why people look at somebody who's going to be a missionary. Like, yeah, you can go to college. You can make money here. You can serve God like that. What's the big deal? Why would anybody surrender any good thing here to serve Christ? Unless the first or last and last or first. Unless there's a hundredfold in this life and the life to come. Unless I'm thinking of a heavenly mindset and eternal things. How have Christians accepted torture, abandonment, suffering, martyrdom throughout the centuries, even in today, all over the world right now? We know we have brothers and sisters that are suffering physically. Hebrews 11.35 tells us others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Because I want a better resurrection, a resurrected body that's promised to us. What? What other hope do we have? Right? What does the world have to give? I think of a person who's trans, right? All, all, all in this world, the only thing that they'll tell, particularly kids, is the only way you could be true to yourself is to just fully dive into this. So doctors and parents and friends, everybody will tell that person, you have to go transition, you have to take these drugs, you have to get surgery, you go through this counseling. And now... What about 10 years later when you decide that wasn't worth it and I've irreparably harmed the body that I live in? What hope does that person have? That community doesn't care about them. It's terrible. It's sad. All, all they can do is tell them to be quiet. You're not even allowed to say you regretted making that choice. What hope do they have? You know what the Bible says? There's a resurrected body, immortal, powerful, heavenly, perfect that God has set aside for you. What? Without eternity, what's the answer? How do I deal with these things? Well, how do we work through issues like this? You know what God does? He just keeps putting it on the other side. Keeps putting it on the other side. Here's what I say. You see all the death, hardship, physical difficulty? Well, these individuals accepted it because they wanted a better resurrection. I'll tell you, it had to be something to see Jesus raised from the dead. Look at that body. See him eat fish. Drink. To know when I die, that's what I'm going to be one day. Right? Made a difference. What about the pull of worldliness and the things that the world has to offer. We're told in Hebrews 11 of Moses, by faith Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with God's people than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. How do we turn down the world's success that's tied with sin? The passing pleasures of sin. How can we look at that and refuse the temptation? Well, the Bible says Moses did it because he, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches and had respect to the reward. If eternity is not there, what do we do? What about when we come to die, as everyone will? What about when we come to take a last breath? We know what Jesus said to that thief on the cross. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Heavenly, eternal. What? What's the ultimate plan? 
Well, what is the ultimate goal of our lives? What kingdom do we want to live for in the end? Second Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 say, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you aiming for an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Right, what are the purposes? Like, how does that relate to life? I'll tell you very simply. What are my purposes and plans for my daughters to have an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ? If you could, if you could guarantee me right now today that I have two girls, both of my girls, would I have an abundant entrance in the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ? Done. Right? Parenting's over. Did it. What's, where does it, what does it all matter in the end? What's the point of it all? What's the kingdom I'm working for? What about Jesus Christ? He'll show us the way. Hebrews 12. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, back where we started. What did he do when he was here? Did he have heaven on the way to heaven? No. Did he live heaven on the way to heaven? Yep. He had that mindset. Is why he was here. It's why he came. So it is impossible to live the Christian life correctly without the proper weight of eternity on the other side of the scale. I just want you to see that. Not just when we come to die. Through every single aspect of the Christian life. You can read just about any book of the Bible and it will say something about our eternal heavenly hope and perspective. It continually puts us in front of us. And I can't, I cannot make this real to a single one of you, and I can't make it real to myself. It is the Holy Spirit's job, and Jesus Christ promised that he would do it, that when he came, he would take of the things that are his and reveal them to us. That he would give us all the truth we need. Whatever truth you need about eternity, about heaven, about resurrection, about glory, about the Bema Seat, about your eternal rewards, about a new heavens and a new earth, he will give it to you. He will make it real to your heart and life. That is why he's giving us this, this exhortation here. So how does this all work out? What does this tell us? And I'll try to say as clearly as I can. God is not ashamed of heaven. Seems like a strange statement, right? But it, it literally has to be said in our day and age. God is not ashamed of heaven. He's not ashamed of it being his answer. People can be like, I don't like that. Well, that's fine. You will when you get there. This is God's answer, though. God's not ashamed to tell those who suffer mockery, lies, and persecution here. They'll jump for joy in heaven. God's not ashamed to tell those who sacrifice material possessions that will fade in this world that they have stored up an incorruptible treasure in the next. 
God's not ashamed to tell people who have, met, who have missed out on some facet of this life that they will have an abundant life in the next. God's not ashamed to tell the grieving spouse or parent or child that their friends and loved ones are in his presence and blessed to be there. And blessed to be there. If you could have watched him come for them, could you have told him no? If Jesus Christ came for one of our loved ones and you opened your eyes and you saw him in his glory, taking them into eternity, would anybody even have the power to say, no, don't do it? No. And he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed. He's not ashamed to tell those who suffer here that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared with the weight of glory that shall be revealed in us. Not ashamed of it. He's not, he's not ashamed to tell those who are humbled as slaves here that they'll reign with him in heaven. He's not ashamed to tell those who die here that they're actually going to live forever. Or as C.S. Lewis says, they're going to live long enough to see the galaxies as an old story, an old tale that was told. He's not ashamed to tell the last that they'll be first. God's not ashamed of heaven. He says you better seek it. Set your mind on it. Don't, don't think about things of the earth. Don't set your mind here. Set your mind there. He's not ashamed of heaven. The only question is, are we? Do we trust God with our eternity, but not its worth? Do we trust him to get us there, but we're actually a little worried it's not going to be worth it all when we get there? Seems a little sterile. Golden streets and just singing all day, every day. It's, it's a little boring. Can't say that out loud because it's unspiritual, but it seems a little boring. I, unfortunately, that's what we've come to. Half of it is the teacher's fault because of the way they've talked about it. The other half is because we haven't really looked at what the scripture says and allowed that to direct our hearts and minds. You ever hear the saying, no news is good news? Right? Jesus looked at his disciples at one point said, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. No news is good news. If it wasn't going to be worth it, I would have told you. If it was going to be really rough, I would have told you. If you would have entered into eternity and it would have been a really rough ride, I would have said something. If it were not so, I am not leading you astray. If it were not so, I would have told you. It's the exact opposite. The one who comes from heaven says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. Lay up your treasure in heaven. Moth and rust cannot destroy there. Thieves can't break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, he encourages the exact opposite. Think about this every day, every single day you and I live. It's like we... Sh we put a whole bunch of freight on a ship and send it to eternity. And Jesus is standing at the shore and he's saying, that can come, that's got to stay. That can come, that's got to stay. Right, we have a really short time to get ready for a really long time. And any moment 
a single day that we get to live with a heavenly mindset is eternally worth it. It's eternally worth it. If we're young, then we have the privilege of the ability to live our whole life for Jesus if God so sees fit or to waste a whole bunch of our life for Jesus and eternal things. And if we're older and he's gonna come soon, a single day lived in his will with a heavenly mindset will be eternally worth it. Every amount of time that we can put our hearts and our minds on him is worth it. So Paul says in verse three, 